With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, film and music fans. How are you? Um, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Soundtracking with me, Edith Bowman. It's a busy summer and you currently find me on the Isle of Wight, hosting the Isle of Wight coverage for Sky Arts. It's a crazy time, but a good time and lots of exciting stuff coming up as well. London Film Festival has just announced its programme. So if you fancy diving into uh, seeing what's on, then you should check out their website. And also the great thing about that is that it is completely accessible, really, in terms of it's not London centric. They're continuing this wonderful programming of making sure that cinemas up and down the country are available for a lot of the gala screenings. So if you're in Glasgow, if you're in Bristol, lots of other places, you get the chance to experience some of the amazing films that are on this year's programme. So dive in and have a look. Now, this week's episode of Soundtracking sees us joined by a fantastically gifted and humble screenwriter whose work includes Skins, This Is England, 86, 88 and 90, His Dark Materials, The Eddie, Enola Holmes and many, many more. Jack Thorne's latest offering is Help, a show which... I absolutely loved and is available now on all four. Starring Jodie Comer and Stephen Graham, Help tells the story of Sarah, a care home worker who looks after Tony, a man beset by Alzheimer's far too young, as if there ever was a good time to succumb to it. This is uh, an incredibly honest and powerful and distressing piece of filmmaking, but a very important one, particularly since we are still living very much within the restraints and the results of a, an international pandemic. And it focuses on the care home sector and how they were forgotten about and how they were very much left to their own devices. It's beautifully and emotionally told, very much through the eyes of Jodie and Stephen. And please go and seek it out if you haven't already. As I said, it was on Channel 4 on Thursday night, which means that you can find it on their streaming service, all four right now. It's called Help. Go and watch it. Now, we'll hear from Jack very, very shortly. But first, a word from our friends at Noom. Now, I have found, I don't know about you, but I've found the past two years have kind of played havoc with my general good health as a result of my eating habits. I'm sure I'm not alone. So what to do about it? Well, I remember growing up watching my mum and her sisters try every diet under the sun, different ones every month, with nothing really aimed at long term. So when a few of my mates talked to me about Noom and its psychology-based approach to eating healthier, I was all ears. Now, when I say psychology-based, it's basically about changing your habits, identifying the things that trigger unhealthy eating and looking at ways to change them. So I signed up and I'm three weeks into my new experience and I've got to say I'm really impressed. I like logging my meals and learning about what might trigger cravings for certain foods. We are all such unique beings. Our lifestyles are different and that's where Noom really works. It customises a programme specific to you for you. Now there is an element of commitment, 10 minutes a day, but I 
I see the importance of that commitment to help take steps to being healthier and have a healthier eating plan. Working on cognitive behaviour to help you on a healthier journey, both in terms of food and exercise, it's really empowering. It's about educating and training your brain so that it makes the best choices for you to achieve your goals rather than saying you can't eat this and you can't eat that. And I like that I'm learning so much about food, what's good for you, what's not. It's really fascinating, actually. I want to cut down on sugar and I can already appreciate that I'm doing that by learning about alternatives to reduce the amount of sugar that I eat. I genuinely already feel it's having a positive impact on my total well-being, my skin, my sleep, my brain. In short, I am in for the long haul and looking forward to seeing the programme through and making positive changes for good. Now, if you feel like this is something that you could benefit from or you're interested in trying it out, then there's an opportunity for you, our lovely soundtracking listeners, to try it out. Just sign up for your trial and get psychology-based support to lose the weight for good at noom.com forward slash sound. That's N-O-O-M dot com slash sound. Lose the weight for good. Sign up at noom.com slash sound. And so to Jack. Now, obviously, as a fellow who writes what we see on screen rather than actually realising it, he doesn't get much of a say in the music. So we thought we'd start by bringing you a cue from a soundtrack we happen to know he loves. Daniel Pemberton's title track from Enola Holmes. Jack, thank you so much for sparing the time to come and chat to us on Soundtrack. And I know got in touch with you months ago originally going, please come on. What's nice, though, is we've talked about you loads on the show. Awesome. That's very nice. Well, I hope nice. It could be, it could, it could be, it could be horrible. Listen, there's so much to talk about with you. And I would be foolish to even think that we could cover like a, a, a half of the ground with you that you've worked on on one episode of this. But I really wanted to get you on because I really wanted to talk to you and people about help and um, because by the time this goes out it will have been on channel four last night but people can catch up with it on on all four an amazing piece of of storytelling so congratulations first of all and if you wouldn't mind just sort of telling us a little bit about the kind of the essence of the show and, and why you wanted to tell the story and and where the kind of idea for it came about so my mum was a carer. My mum cared for adults with learning difficulties and uh, uh, she worked at a day centre and then in residential care. And I've spent most of my life in and out of the disabled community and telling stories about disabilities. I think one thing that I was, I, I feel able to do and mm. feel like it's important to do. And Stephen Graham, the wonderful Stephen Graham, who is also a very charismatic man. Uh, 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 I, yes, as someone that is a charisma vacuum, being surrounded by these people that just like so full of like just personality is just amazing. So I was having a conversation with Stephen at an awards due for the virtues. And he said, write something for me and Jody. 
and I couldn't think of anything. I really couldn't. I didn't think of anything that was good enough for two actors of that caliber. And I was going back and looking through everything, just trying to find something desperately. And I used to live in Luton and there's a uh, Luton Today uh, had an article just about right at the beginning of the pandemic about a number of deaths occurring in a care home. And I was very involved in the Labour Party in Luton and had some very good friends involved politically there. And I knew someone that was specifically looking into care in Luton and was aware of the struggles that care was going through. And I was like, oh, is there, is there something that he's talking about there? And so I started developing a, uh, a show about underfunding and over-medicating and all sorts of other things that were going on in, in care homes. And I, I, I was very excited by it. And it was about uh, Jodie and Stephen's brother and sister. And then I sent it to George Faber to say, will you make this with with us and um who runs the forge and george said you've missed the story if you're wanting to tell a story about care homes because you are passionate about what's happened to them in the pandemic then you have to tell a story of the pandemic and i really didn't want to i really i really was frightened of telling a story about covid because i didn't feel ready i didn't feel like the world was ready for stories about covid but as soon as he said it i realized that's what needed to happen and then the more you research it, the the worse it becomes. The the more the more the negligence of not just government but society as a whole becomes clear. And so it was like, okay, grasp the nettle and and try and tell a story about it. And it's the most important thing I've ever been involved in in terms of I do think that we need to be talking about it. And I do think TV can help those discussions and it was terrifying at every stage and it was profoundly depressing and profoundly uplifting because you are, you were surrounded by amazing people. And uh, in research, the more people we talked to, the more amazing, uh, you know, the, 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 the stories they were telling became. Yeah. For something like this, was it always the idea that it was going to be, uh, you know, a, a basically, you know, basically a feature film really, you know, in terms of, of it being one, um, long form episode rather than it being something that was that was episodic yes and uh that was for two reasons one is it never felt like a big big like story you want to tell over lots it was a story that you wanted to immerse people in you know and have that sort of full telling within it that that, that thing of even with the um advert breaks there was always sort of a thing of let's not be sensational about this uh yeah. you know let's try and keep this as grounded as we possibly can and the second thing was, when you're working with Jodie and Stephen, one thing you're very aware of is that their availability isn't huge. And so going, okay, where I've got this opportunity to tell a story with you, I'm not going to ask you for too much <laughs> of your time because uh, you will be swallowed up whole by Ridley Scott and, uh, you know, and Killing Eve and, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, and everything else that was going on at the time for them. And, you know, yeah, Stephen is the busiest man in show business and Jodie, Jodie runs him close. But what's wonderful though is they came to you and wanted you to write something for them. They, they, you know, you've got history with Stephen, and the idea that he, you're the person that he can come to, that he that he trusts, and he knows that you can write a, a role for him that is that is very very special. And for Jodie, you know, she said we were lucky enough. We did a lovely Q and A last week with you, all, you know, where she said she's never never played anything like this before, and this might be one of the most important roles of her life. And I think that that is true, even taking into consideration everything that she will go on to do. That's amazing. And yes, the idea that they approached me and Jodie was very nice to me too on 
is nuts and uh um and i'm still not you know it's a weird thing this business and you're yeah. always sort of going what's my what? worst you know yeah. yeah and then suddenly things happen and you go oh no how how did this happen and why are they trusting me and don't they know i'm an idiot and uh and uh and um yeah no i feel very lucky yes oh. very lucky that they came to me do you mind if we um if we talk a little bit about the your relationship with Stephen because you know, this goes way back. And I remember when I was on Radio One and I really fought with my producers to get Shane to come in and talk about this thing that I'd seen that was This Is England. And I was like, wow. this thing is so, br- not just brilliant, but it's a really, again, another really important, powerful piece of storytelling. We have to get him in and this young actor, Thomas Targus, who's just extraordinary. And we got them in and it, I was so glad that I managed to persuade them to get them in because how that then went on sort of thing. But that is that where your relationship with Stephen started or where you first met? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, uh, you get the sense I'm a very shy, weird mm. dude. And <laughs> being in a room filled with those actors is quite unlike anything else. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, the, the, you, you know not just... Yeah. Tommy and I mean Joe Gilgan if there isn't a party happening around Joe Gilgan then something's wrong do you know what I mean like you know and so that thing of just suddenly being surrounded and I've been plucked you know Channel 4 said to Shane he might be an interesting person for you and Shane met me and decided he would be an interesting person for me and so I was then thrust into this thing and I loved the film too I mean I was so passionate about, about that film and I was coming from Skins, which was pretty wild. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, and then I did a show called Cast Offs, which was quite wild. And then, but then I was in this sort of madness. And um, yes, that's when I met Stephen and I was incredibly intimidated, incredibly intimidated and uh, incredibly intimidated all through 86. We didn't have much of him in 86. He was mostly playing Al Capone. So he wasn't yeah. that available to us. And then 88, a bit more of him. And I specifically, I wrote a piece about his dad in it because uh, his dad is uh, biracial and uh, and so trying to tell that story in terms of like uh, you know we, we've got to tell a story that combos and I wrote a bit about it in 86 actually and he'd said no that's not right for this and then I wrote a bit about it in 88 and there was a bit of a sort of like that's not really right for this either and then mm-hmm. 90 I actually got to know him and the virtues I got to know him properly um, but it's you know Shane 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 talks six to the dozen uh, Stephen talks six to the dozen. I basically didn't talk at all to anyone. I just sat there. Uh, I had this very profound and beautiful thing happening with Shane where we were sort of two very unlike each other, you know, but in a room together a lot. But it works, yeah. Oh, he's still one of the most important people in my life. I love Shane to bits. But um, yeah, and so, uh, yes, getting to know people in that context, I wasn't very good at it. But, uh, you know, and Shane Cast, I was in, I'm in this thing in 86. I play a part called Carrot Bum. Uh, so cool because he once had a carrot stuck up his bum. And uh, it happened because I was sat, sat there typing away at the script and I get a call from Shane who's on the motorway driving from somewhere to somewhere, which he is always doing. And uh, and uh, and he said, um, I need you to play Carrot Bum. And I say, why? And he says, because I can't find another actor lonely or weird enough to play the role. <laughs> I was like, wow, wow, wow. Yeah. Well, that's our relationship. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 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 Yeah. 
like, I mean, but Skins had music at its core. Music was such a big part of that show. So when you're writing something like Skins, where does music sit when you're writing it? Are you writing it into the script? Are you listening to music? Are you are there music that are informing characters? How is how is is music part of that conversation at that stage? Yes, in Skins, I did write soundtrack in. None of the soundtrack that I wrote in was used. I was directed my first. Uh, two episodes of Skins were directed by an amazing director called Adam Smith, who also um, does the visuals for the Chemical, Chemical Brothers. Chemical Brothers, yeah. So he has like he has music in his soul. Um, so everything that I wrote him wasn't quite good enough for that. You know that he just that there was a, a moment when we were trying to find Chris was going wild. Uh, Chris was losing his mind literally. Um, Chris was the character in Skins. Yeah. Uh, and he used Adam and the Ants. And it was just one of those things where you went, whoa, suddenly the scene just took fire because he had Adam and the Ants playing. And um, yeah, no, I love music. I'm just not uh, educated enough in it. You don't need to be though. Music's about emotion anyway. Music's about how it makes you feel, you know, when you get a reaction to it. That's that's the core of I think what where the power of music comes through. You you know, you can I always feel slightly intimidated doing this podcast when I speak to composers and they're, you know, they're I'm out of my depth. But for me, I'm always I'm always coming at it as with an emotional attachment and and what it's what it's there to do and what it does. You know, I think that that's that's what music is for me, I think. I do always tend to write with a certain piece of music playing and I'll play it over and over again. And there's some old staples that I rely on. Like I listen to a lark ascending an awful lot uh, as sort of, uh, you know, when I'm writing something that's got to have that beauty and that nature in it. Yeah, I hear you, <laughs> but equally I know what my limits are and uh, yes. What about on This Is England? Because again, you know, with the film, Shane kind of like 
music was such a big part of that that world you know in terms of informing so much about the era but the the kind of sometimes the emotional integrity of characters and all that kind of stuff I thought was was so cleverly done and then continued throughout the rest of the This Is England projects was was that something you talked about when you were writing that absolutely and he's and he sent me stuff to listen to and he was also he was in a band and so he's got that thing too you know he was in a band with Paddy um mm. and I listened to that stuff too he sent me that stuff which no one else has heard and it's amazing um yeah. but yeah no I listened to a lot of Gavin I listened to a lot of stuff that is important to Shane and that was really helpful in terms of finding the tone of how to write Woody how to write those certain key moments the times for change see the luck of a Make a good man turn back Oh, please, please, please Let me, let me, let me, let me Get what I want this time you're working on a project you know that you you do this brilliant thing where you create fantastic work like help then you do these adaptations as well you know and and there are things like you know his dark materials which is like I can't imagine where you start with something like that you know in terms of I mean the behemoth amount of just material that's there sort of thing uh, with something like that Jack where, where where do you start you know because it's also it's an episodic thing how do you break up the book and all those kind of things? Because I love those series. Me and the boys, my now 13-year-old, he got a book for his birthday. I can't remember which one it was, but it was the it wasn't a sudden life, it was the one before that. And, and it Northern kind of took life. us, yeah, it took us into the it took us into the the world. And then from there we kind of, you know, just jumped off. And it was one of those lovely instances where we'd read together. So we'd ah. read pages each. And I oh, it's the most we've just been doing that actually. He's off sick today and he's got um uh lady in black to read and so we read the first chapter together top page by page at uh, women in black but where did you start with that sorry that's a very long question no 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 it's really good question i mean i i only choose stuff to adapt that i think i can learn from mm-hmm. and i'm intimidated by and with his dumb materials i don't think there's anything more intimidating and so we we what we tried to do was just kind of do a PhD in Philip Pullman. And so we discussed metal and things like that for ages in terms of how all that works. We've written, we've literally got almost scientific papers on dust. And so that was the starting point. That was the, let's try and understand this. Let's try and get a real total understanding of this. And then when when it comes to breaking things down, you're always thinking about one thing and one thing only, which is Lyra. And, and with series one, it was what I tried to do was say, what has she learned this episode? And if you're working out what she's learned this episode, then you've got an automatic endpoint because it's the moment of learning. And so that, that took me through series one. Series two is a bit more complicated. Series three is even more complicated and we're still battling with it now, but, um, but she's, she's the key. And so, Following her was was the most important thing. Lauren's score for that is just 
sublime. Oh, amazing, 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 amazing. And I remember when I first heard the title sequence uh, and uh, Dan sent it me, Dan McCulloch, who's the exec producer, sent it me and he just said, you know, listen to this in a dark room. And I listened to it in a dark room and it was just like, whoa, right, okay, okay. <laughs> I, I know what I know what's coming now. You know, the storm yeah. is coming, you know, yeah. I can feel the rumble. directors about that you know in terms of you've you've written the script you're creating the world your your words and your uh the way you write those characters creating the world and and that music's got to fit with that in terms of so is are you ever kind of in conversations about composers or what music you see as being part of it or how you hear it no i'm really sorry i'm not <laughs> no, i wish i was apologize uh, <laughs> it just uh i'm i'm very I like what I do because I like working in a team and I tend to trust people. And so that thing of, there are times when you have to get involved and there are times when you have to go, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't seem right. But largely, you know, when you're working with Shane Meadows, Mark Munden, your job is to, is to support them once. So once you get to a certain point, you're writing the script for them. Um, once you get, through the uh, filming process, you're then supporting them through the edit and the questions. I mean, I, I, I remember on a, on a thing Mark and I did together going, I've got one note and the note is it doesn't feel like you. And he was like, okay, okay, I hear that and went away and did something extraordinary. I'm a fan, I think, more than anything else. And that thing of just going, okay, um, what does this need? doesn't really doesn't do, once once i'm through the script process that's not my problem my problem is what does what does the director need do you know what i mean like yeah. you know what does yeah. marjan need what does yeah. do you know what i mean like you know and and trying to furnish them as much as possible they'll probably be listening to this going that's not true at all he's an arsehole and he makes my life really difficult but but that's what it feels like in my head i think like those conversations that you're talking about are so important because there's so much kind of like there's so many yes people around, you know, in terms of you need those honest conversations to go, you know, to find your truth, to find, you know, when you were talking about help and them going, you know, this is not the story you need to tell. There is the story that you need to tell. Absolutely. You know, it's so important to have those people that with the honesty there that, you know, might not be the, the, the what you want to hear at the time. But when you look back, it's exactly what you need to hear. At the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Enola Holmes as well. Oh, we love that. So good. Daniel Pemberton did the score for that and big fan of Daniel. He's a crazy Einstein wizard man of music. I love him to bits. Writing the second film, I listened to his soundtrack incessantly. It was really, really like useful actually to kind of go, oh, this is what Enola feels like. 
That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, he's he's amazing. I love his music. much where you you're continuing on with something and there's something from you know like you say you're 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 there to to write and then facilitate and then your job's kind of done really but there is all this work that's done once your role's finished that's a lovely thing to be to be absolutely open to the influence from those people yes no i always i i sometimes more than others with enola it was it was all the time i was listening to that i've got a little sort of enola home spotify thing that just literally like the 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 tracks arranged in the order that i like it But with this England, I, I listened back a lot too. You know that there were there were tracks available, and I just and I and I listened to what Shane had chosen for '86 when I was when I was working on '88, knowing full well that there was no way that anything would survive that because Shane's very keen on musical history, and so things things will change for '88 and things will change for '92. But just it was always useful to have that sound in my head. Yeah, we mentioned the Eddie earlier on as well, and I just thought it was such a. I mean, it was it was just brilliant to kind of talk about that and Glenn and find out about you know this where some where ideas come from and the idea you know it's it's obviously something that's very it's been around his head for a while and and I just love that it came to fruition really how was that experience for you as well because 
was it a completely different experience for you both the fact that it was in a different language but also that world yeah. yeah i feel frustrated with what i did on that show i feel like we came really close to doing something i i feel like everyone brought their a game and there was just stuff that i missed and i'm annoyed with myself for not doing better there were bits that i think i wrote really well but i didn't think enough about the shape of the show i think when it was released though in terms of because you know the the idea that this show could have been released when we weren't in a pandemic and there could have been an actual little tour with the band around jazz clubs and that would have kind of i think really brought the whole thing to life sort of thing i feel like absolutely my god we don't you don't hear people being as honest as you about their work but i think that you also sort of um you were kind of trapped within the confines of what the world was going on i think as well at the time absolutely and uh i'm sure it's the same with your work that you just sometimes you go i just i just miss something i miss something and i just and i and i uh, there's a there's a vital piece of the jigsaw missing and i still there's a few things that i find myself waking up in the night rewriting and um the Eddie is very high on that list and I'm irritated that I didn't do better because everything else was so brilliant and I just didn't, I, I, I could go on, I could, I could write you an essay about what I think I should have done and it's basically about five, six, seven and eight where I just, I just didn't, I let the crime plot just disappear a little bit too far in the mix because I came too involved in, I became too involved in the lives of the characters and Mm -hmm. I just needed to service it a little bit better. And if I'd serviced it a little bit better, then there would have been just a slightly more, slightly more pleasing arc in which we could have put the, the things that really mattered to us, which was telling a story with jazz at its core and Mm -hmm. with, with a jazz feel within it. And, you know, episodes like particularly um, Hooters 2, uh, 3 and 4, you know, where you just, where, where it just, it, we were able to swell. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, and servicing those uh, and servicing the story, I, I just, yeah, we were close to something. We were really close to something. And I think I was the bit that wasn't quite good enough. Uh, which isn't say I'm going, you know, like you know, I'm not going. Woe is me. I'm just saying. I just, yeah. You know, it's, it's just... really healthy to 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 kind of critique your own work. It's like I think it's the only way that you, well, it's the way you can kind of grow as a creative as well. I think. Do you know what I mean? I've gone. No, I, that's not. You know, yeah. I could have done X or Y differently. Tom Harper as well is another brilliant director that you've worked yes. with. Um, I mean, I literally like Wild Rose that he worked on prior to the Iron yeah. as well was just. Oh, it's such a good film. I saw an advert for it on the other night on Film 4 saying that it was having its um, old school telly debut. And it was like, yes! Um, oh. But I love the Aeronauts. I just, I, I was lucky enough to do a, a couple of Q&As with him and uh, Felicity and, and Eddie. And I just thought it was such a great film and I was fascinated by it. And I, I love films that I learned stuff from as well, you know, in terms of just fascinated by that whole world. Um, and also one of the things that I really wanted to highlight to you as well is how brilliant you write for women. Thank you very much. Thank you. You know, if you think about everything from like Felicity's character in Aeronauts to the female characters in, in This Is England to Rosamund in, in Radioactive and, and Jodie in Help, I just, yeah, you, you, you've got this brilliant ability to kind of really just give women good roles to play. That's very kind. 
I, I write disability with an agenda. That's not with an agenda. It's just, it's something I've always done. And I think at a time when we're supposed, when no, not when we're supposed, when we are living up to new standards and writing with a new consciousness, I think I probably need to examine a bit why I'm doing it. But um, yeah, my first play out of female lead, it's always just something I've done and I don't, I don't really understand it. And I probably should <laughs> understand it a bit better than I do why I, why I particularly do it. Oh, you don't need to understand it. You just keep doing it because it's brilliant. Um, <laughs> what was the what was the thing for you that ignited this beautiful and brilliant creative drive to write? Where did the writing come from? When did you know you wanted to write? It's really, I think, quite banal. Um, I went to university and I wanted to be a an actor or a politician. And I went to the Young Labour Conference in 1997, so just after Blair won. Mm-hmm. And it was just before I went to university and I felt so, I actually was part of a walkout of Tony Blair's speech at that conference, <laughs> uh, protesting at Clause 4, because uh, I fell in with the young Labour left because I was so disillusioned with how the conference was run and what it felt like. And I just went, oh, this isn't the world for me. And then I went to uni and started acting and just realised I wasn't good enough. And, you know... Those moments where you just go, oh, I can see it in other people in a way that I can't see it in myself. So I decided I'd direct and I couldn't afford um, £65 a night, which is what it costs to get the rights to a play. And so I decided to write one of my own and then fell in love. And it was just as soon as I started doing it, it was like, oh, this is what I'm meant to do. And I've never stopped since. And I'm obsessive about it and (laughs) psychologically dependent on it. and when I'm in a weird place, my wife will send me up to write. She'll just go, go write something and then you'll come down and be a better person. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, no, it's my, uh, I, wow. I like writing a first draft is, is still the most exciting thing, which is probably why I write so much, but I just, I, I feel like so excited when I'm writing when it's good, which is not to say it's not horrible, uh, 13 days out of 14, because that's what writing is, but just yeah. that one day of like, oh, this is, this is, this is happening. Yeah. It's just the most exciting feeling. Do you have a, not a wish list, but do you have things that you want to write? Be that theatre. I mean, I know you've got so much, you've, you, you know, you've, you, you, that's the thing is you've done, you've, not you've done everything, but you've worked, <laughs> but you've worked across, you know, so many different, you know, whether it be in theatre, whether it be TV, whether it be film. But I, but I wonder if you kind of set yourself goals or if you have certain things that you want to to write either for or about. I think help has changed things a little bit, actually. It's two things, really. I wrote it predominantly during the pandemic. So when I was a bit stiller, you know, we all were still. And I think it helped me do better. I think I, I think the, the script is one that I go, I, I, I don't sit there at night going, why did I do that? There's many flaws within it, but just like I don't sit there hurting myself because of it. And so trying to find that stillness is really important. And the other thing is it felt like it, that thing of just finding a story where you go, I know exactly what I'm doing. And so that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for stuff where I go, I know exactly what I'm doing. And I'm sort of trying to judge everything on that at the moment. Mm -hmm. And Sometimes I don't, but, 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 but that more than anything. And I don't know quite where you find those stories. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm like, you know, it's not like you're kind of sitting there going, 
I think if you sat there going, know exactly what you're doing at the beginning of your process, you destroy everything. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I think that's why yeah. people that are going, I'm writing my novel and have still been writing it for 25 years. That's what they get stuck on, that thing of just kind of like, you know, the idea of perfect. But that's what I'm looking for, that sort of like, just like feeling of a, of sureness, be it political or fantasy. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, just yeah. that, I know what I know why this is. Yes. So I'm still looking for that, really. What can we enjoy next? Help obviously is available for people to to watch uh, now, and they definitely should because I I um I think it's one of the most important pieces of um of drama that's kind of been on TV for a, for a very long time, as well as being thoroughly entertaining and very very powerful. But what can we see next? Do you know what's out next? I mean, when you look at the list of the things that you're either writing, I've written, you know, filming, pre-production, post-production, all that can, announced. Um, there's a lot. There's a big list there, Jack. But what do you know what we're going to get to see next? Uh, there's, a, there's a film called uh, Then Barbara Met Allen, which has been called many different names. Um, it's about the passing of the Disability Discrimination Act and particularly about uh, a group called Disability Action Network, uh, DAN. And... Ruth Madeley's in the lead, and it's an uh, all-disabled cast. And brilliant. I wrote it with a brilliant writer called Genevieve Barr, uh, who's also acted in quite a lot of my stuff. And uh, uh, she's amazing. And, uh, and Bruce Goodison and Amit Sharma have directed it. And it's, it's, um, we're, we're in the edit now, and it's difficult, and we're trying to find our way through it. But there's, um, there's some incredible performances in it. And it's a story that needs telling. Amazing. I can't wait. And I'll, I'll let my kids know about it in all the homes too as well, because we yes. loved it. Wait, wait, literally, it's the reads for on Thursday. <gasps> uh, so we are, we are go, go, go. Um, right. Uh, and uh, it's, um, yeah, very exciting. Yes. Brilliant. Jack, um, it's been an absolute pleasure to get to chat to you. I hope we get to do it again soon. And um, also congratulations on your Edinburgh TV festival mctaggart lecture as well i thought it was it was fantastic if people want to read it they can read it online i thought it was it was it was brilliant you did such a great job so well done on that as well thanks i was trying to represent a lot of people and it was weird and i <laughs> i don't you know i said in the thing i don't think anyone would have wanted me to, to say this but it just felt like an opportunity a platform do you know what i mean like you know i was yeah. given a platform for a moment and it was that thing of just kind of like okay let's yeah let's talk about the things that my friends and i going through in this it was brilliant it was so good yeah listen take care let you get back to your happy place and write (laughs) in it's not happy today to be honest it's not happy today oh okay but but but, but happiness is always just around the corner hopefully (laughs) and i'm taking that piece of advice into the rest of the week with me um jack really great to chat to you thank you so much for your time and i hope to see you soon Awesome. Thank you. Hope your son gets better. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye 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 bye.
from former guest on the show, that's Glenn Ballard's music from the Eddie. That's not a day goes by. Running off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the wonderful Jack Thorne. My huge thanks to Jack for taking the time to talk to us. As I said, help is available to watch on all four now with loads of his other work on offer across various platforms. If you take time to look it up, it is well worth it, I assure you. Please head to edithbowman.com. You can listen to every single episode of Soundtracking, including my conversation with Glenn Ballard, who not only wrote the music for the Eddie, but is also responsible for one of the greatest anthems of all time, Hold On by Wilson Phillips. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and please do keep telling everyone you know about us if you like what you hear. Join me next week for another conversation into the world of music and film. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then.